Good morning, church. Man, same thing, first service. Let's try it again. Good morning, church. Ah, they do exist. Um, it really is a joy and a blessing to worship together. By God's grace, I stand before you all this morning. By God's grace, we have confidence in what we hope for. By God's grace, we have assurance in what we do not see. By God's grace, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we sit here this morning as one body, as one people, as one congregation, as one family, the body of Christ and members of one another. Amen? Scriptures remind us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen? If you have your Bibles, please turn back with me to the book of 1 John. We had this early reading earlier in Spanish and English. I'm not very confident in my Spanish reading in public, so I will be reading in English. Hopefully that doesn't shock you. I hope my English reading is good too. So in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, we read. Um, we also have the verses up front for you to follow. 1 John 2, 12 to 14, here we read. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let us pray together. Father God, we are grateful to know you and be known by you. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Jesus our Christ, we are grateful that you have loved us from the beginning, even unto death of Calvary's cross, and now even beyond the grave, you love us still. Holy Spirit, thank you for your power, which makes us strong enough to overcome the evil one, and your power which lives in us. Amen? This morning we return back to the book of 1 John, the epistle you might know or remember that is traditionally and historically credited as being a letter or a combined series of sermons from the Apostle John. John, the disciple of Jesus. John, the evangelist for Christ and for the gospel. John, the revealer of what is to come in the last days. John, the apostle, our Lord Jesus Christ's probable best friend during his time here on earth. In this letter, we find a great many lessons to learn and study. Lessons that remind us that, yes, Jesus is Lord and Lord forever. He is our God through whom all things were created. He is our God who holds all things together. He is our God who reconciles all things through his blood. Jesus is our Christ. Jesus is also our God who came and lived, our God who loved, our God who dwelt on skin and walked among us. The King of all radiance and light came to shine for the glory of his Father into our world of darkness. He came so that we could be children of light. He came so that we could come back home to the Father again. Amen? In 1 John, there are all sorts of lessons. Lessons about how true teachers and true believers do not just proclaim Jesus with their lips. No. No, true believers prove Jesus by looking like Jesus in how we live and in how we love. There are lessons in here about conflict and struggle. There are lessons about the tension we often feel in church, about expressing some of our more charismatic gifts. Lessons about faith and conduct, and lessons about love. Love. What does it mean to love? What does love look like? And again, who is love? First John is a book full of lessons, and a book full of wonderful applicable answers for our life and walk in Christ today. 
Our first lesson in this wonderful epistle those months ago was the foundational truth to understanding this book. The lesson was learning that John is not simply writing about Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. No, John is writing about Jesus, his best friend. John stands before us this morning, as he did back then, as a witness of Jesus Christ. Because with his own eyes, he witnessed Jesus. With his own hands, he witnessed Jesus. And with his own heart, he witnessed Jesus. John writes as a witness who was part of thousands, maybe tens of thousands, who actually heard Jesus speak. He writes as a witness of one of maybe hundreds who actually believed in Jesus during the life of Jesus. John writes as a witness to the 70 that Jesus sent out to share the gospel. John writes as a witness. He was one of the 12 disciples, followers who lived with, who walked with, and were exclusively taught day in and day out by Jesus. John writes as a witness and a card-carrying member of the group of three that formed Jesus' inner circle, along with Peter and James. They are the three that went up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They are the three who stayed closest to Jesus when he cried out to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, Not my will, but your will be done. They are the three who are closest to him before the cross at Calvary, Peter, James, and John. If there was an ultimate inner circle, it was them. Yet even among those three, John was the one that they all called the disciple that Jesus loved. John was Jesus' best friend. John was the witness and best friend chosen by Jesus while he hung on Calvary's tree dying for our sins. Jesus chose John to be his mother Mary's adopted son. In so doing, Jesus chose John to be the one who would provide and care for Mary even in her last days as an aging widow. John, being Jesus' brother in the spirit and best friend on earth, helps us to begin to unwrap the treasure of this epistle. See, in this letter, Jesus' best friend writes because he knows Jesus, but he writes because he's known by Jesus. He writes because Jesus is love, and love has invaded his world. John writes because Jesus came to earth and changed how he sees everything. Changes how he hears everything. Changes how he feels everything. Jesus, how, change, Jesus? Changes how he understands everything. John writes because he knows Jesus and he's known by Jesus. He writes because Jesus has changed his perspectives, changed his focus, and Jesus has taught him what love is. All while every single day enlarging even John's capacity to love and to love more. Jesus invaded John's world so that John could now again be who God had created him and destined him to be. A lost child who would come home again out of the darkness and into the light. But the real blessing in the closeness of relationship between John and the Lord Jesus Christ, the real beauty of it all, is that this same kind of closeness, this same kind of intimacy that Jesus had with John, that's the same closeness and intimacy that Jesus desires to have with you and you and you. Amen? Jesus wants you, all of you, and all of the real you, Jesus desires an intimacy that's founded on honesty, on vulnerability, on trust, on grace, on love. Love. This is what Jesus had with John, and this is what Jesus desires to have with you and you and you. Amen? 
So John writes as a witness of the Christ because he witnessed Jesus day in and day out. He witnessed Jesus in ministry, but also in the everyday scenes. After learning the significance of John's witness, we looked at one of the major themes of this epistle, light and darkness. In that second sermon, we hear John just come out and say it clearly. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. That was the entire premise of the next section of the letter. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That may be one of the best and most descriptive thesis statements in all of Scripture. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Amen? And in that passage, we learn that since God is light, and in whom there is no darkness, we must always know, we must always remember this simple truth, that light is not equal to darkness. No, light is always superior to darkness. Light is always superior to darkness. Amen? And because light is always superior to darkness, we must at any given point in our lives, we must be known more for shining our light than for complaining about the darkness. We must work to walk in the light. We must live to have fellowship with one another. We must not submit to the darkness that so easily ensnares us. We must be known not for being perfect, but for being made pure through the forgiveness of our God and Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We are not perfect, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are being perfected into the image of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who's now our advocate before the Father. We must be known more for pleasing and living to please God than simply living to please ourselves. Our God is light, amen? And our Jesus reminds us that we are the light of the world. You know, we are perhaps, we as Christians, are perhaps too quick to proclaim Jesus is the light. Yes, yes, Jesus is the light of the world. But we are often sometimes so quick to proclaim Jesus is light and then become ever so slow to recognize, to realize, and also to proclaim that Christ has left us. That yes, Jesus is light. That yes, Jesus is the Lord. But Jesus has left you and you and you to be the light of the world. Amen? So Jesus says, we are the light of the world. We are the city on a hill. We are the lamps that when we get on our stands, we give light to the entire house. We are the lights that shine so brightly before others and before our world that they will see them and then glorify our Father in heaven. We are the light of the world. Amen? The last time we looked at what I believe, then last time we looked at what I believe is one of the most overlooked passages in all of Scripture. Specifically, we focus on the heart of 1 John 2, 3 to 11. We focus on this simple phrase. A simple phrase, yes, but one that I believe can change your life. A simple phrase so powerful that it can change your understanding and bless you with forever great perspective. A simple phrase so good that it should be on bumper stickers, t-shirts, and splattered all across your social media. Now, if you do all that, bumper stickers and t-shirts, you will enjoy riches, I promise. And when the riches come pouring in, don't forget the little people. That's me. And don't forget the tithe. That's the church. And then you're covered. So what is this crucial and powerful phrase that John leaves us with? The, <laughs> the simple phrase is this. The darkness is passing, and the true light 
is already shining. But Hank, our world is not as it should be. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. But Hank, I don't like where the country is going. One, Christ's kingdom is always our priority, not America and its empire. We believe in the kingdom, not America, amen? Besides, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Hey, I'm not sure about this whole church in North America. I'm not even sure about this H-Big thing. I'm not sure about my family. I'm not sure about my relationships. I'm not sure about myself. Well, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining, amen? And that's not just a pep talk, that's the truth. The truth we do well to know and remember because every single day brings us closer to Christ's return. You hear that this morning? Every single day brings us closer to the day our Christ shall return. Amen? And every single day affords us the blessing and the opportunity to shine our lights for God's glory. Every word and deed, every thought and interaction, every hope and dream that you have, all that we are and all that we could be can be used to shine our lights, to make Christ's kingdom come, to make our Father's will be done empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And if we do so, if we're willing to give God our every word and deed, if we're willing to give the Spirit our every thought and interaction, if we're willing to give Jesus our every hope and dream, we will learn, we will see, we will know, we will remember that the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Amen? Which brings us to our passage this morning. Here again in 1 John 2, 12 to 14, John writes, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. In these verses, John writes to the church back then, and we, God's people today. In this passage that is easily more poetry than prose, John writes and implores God's people to know God and remember. Know God and remember. Know God and remember. Now, there are several things in here that must be unpacked and cleared up so that we can more confidently understand, comprehend, learn, and then teach the truth of this passage. The first thing, honestly, you may not care at all about, like not at all, but law of averages says one or two of you might, so we're going to cover it. If you've ever looked at these verses in the commentary or read them before or thought a thought about it, there's a good chance you've been wondering. So I'll give you the answer. For us this morning, there is no real significance. For us sitting in this room in Harrisburg in 2016, there is no real significance in John starting the first half of the passage by saying, I am writing to you, and then switching it up in the second half and saying, I write to you. Now, most of you are just like, but I didn't care. Why are you talking about that? And to you, I say, touche. However, for the one or two of you out there who've looked at this in the commentary and you realize that the Lord Jesus himself is like, why are they wasting the brain cells I've given them to figure out something that means nothing? So to them, I say, touche. Now, the second issue in this passage is a little bit more complicated. 
Now, there might be one or two of you, and I guarantee you there's going to be a significant number of you who had a different feeling about this one. Many of us have looked at this passage over, and we've asked ourselves, or maybe wondered out loud, is John's language here a little too exclusive? This honest question asked is, is John too focused on children and fathers and young men? The language at first glance is not really doesn't seem inclusive at all. Like more specifically, what about the sisters among us? Like why no mention of mothers or young women? Why just children, sons, and fathers? Again, cultural context always matters. We may not like it or agree with it, and I don't imagine that my explanation is going to smooth all that over, but I'm just going to tell you how they understood it back then, and hopefully it helps a little bit. See, for John and his people, John writes, when he writes to children here, he's actually writing to those he has discipled and mentored in the faith. That's why he calls them children. Because to him, and you have to understand, John, we believe, could have been close to about 100. So everyone was a child to him, especially those who are newer Christians. But also for John's culture and context, when John writes to fathers here, he's actually writing to all those people we would call spiritually mature. So yes, that's male and female. And again, when John writes to young men, he's writing to all of us who are known for our spiritual vigor in fighting and overcoming the evil one. Now again, that might not suffice. You might be like, well, that's their culture, that's not ours, right? But you have to understand that that's the language of John and his people, and that's the language the Bible's written in. You know, this might help. We more commonly see this same thing in, say, modern-day Spanish. Now, I don't feel confident speaking Spanish, but I feel confident teaching Spanish, so there goes that. See, in Spanish, when a combined group of people, male and female, are being talked about, we use masculine or feminine pronouns to describe the group. So when I say los niños or los jóvenes, I can be talking to a group of children, and I can be talking to young men and young women, not just the males in the room. Again, when I use la gente to mean people, I'm referring to people. Yes, male and female, not just the women in the group. Same thing. So the point here is simply this. Yes, John uses children, fathers, and young men. However, this is actually inclusive language for his day and age. Besides, we actually have proof within the text that this is inclusive language. The proof is simply this. Of all the truths that John calls the people of God to know and remember, none of them are exclusive to the group being singled out. So, for example, when John writes, Children, your sins have been forgiven on account of the name of Christ. We know without a doubt that this is truth not just for children. This is truth for all of us. Without a doubt, God forgives our sin. Amen? Without a doubt, God doesn't just forgive children. When you become adults, you're not a sinner forever. Without a doubt, we know God forgives our sins. Amen? Whether it's the little white lie or that time we did something to really hurt someone else. Whether it's the sin of racism that still plagues our nation or, if we're honest, still lives a little bit in our own hearts. Whether it's the sin of actually thinking we're better than other people. Whether it's not living to shine our light. Whether it's living in a way where we keep leaving good left undone, God forgives us all. Our Father forgives all our sin, amen? Likewise, when John says, I write to you fathers who know God, the one who is from the beginning, we know that includes all of us in Christ because <laughs> by the Father and by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
All of us can know God the Father. Amen? Not only fathers. Like, that's not a card-carrying thing when you walk in the church. Do you have a kid? Yes. Now you can know God. We know that's ridiculous. So we cannot apply the same thing to this passage. We know that every single one of us can know God the Father. Remember that. Remember that every single person, whether you're a child or an adult, whether you're male or female, I'll even go this one, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, God is powerful enough to reveal himself to you. Amen? And knowing God is not simply about being spiritually mature. Knowing God is not about who knows the most about God. And it's not about who can say the most about God. And here's a good one for our culture. Knowing God is not about what you think God is like. No. No, knowing God is about intimacy. It's about knowing the heart of our Father. It's about being shaped by God's heart. It's about looking at Jesus and witnessing who Jesus is. And then going out to be a witness for our Christ and his kingdom. It's about submitting all of you. All of you, all of you. It's by completely submitting all of you in obedience to the Spirit, which in turn works to mold you into the image of God's Son. And similarly, when John tells the young men here in this passage that they are strong and that the Word of God lives in them, we know he's not just talking about young men, right? We know this because anyone, all of us, who've ever stood up Whoever sought to live and love like Christ, whoever sought to, to shine our lights for God's glory. See, when you pledge your life to Christ, you enter into battle with the devil. In all your working and doing, in all your living and loving, in all the boldness of you trying to shine for God's glory, yes, you're being yourself. Yes, you're being who you're called to be. Yes, you're a child of God. But know this and remember you're also now an enemy of the devil. But do not fear. We are never to fear. We are never to fear the devil and his wiles. Because while he works for our destruction, we must know and always remember the words of Jesus our Christ and what he proclaimed to us. I leave you my peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? And looking around this room and knowing some of the many stories that are our testimonies here at Harrisburg BIC, I look in this room and I see people who've overcome the devil in the past. I see more than conquerors who live to defeat that devil every single day. And I don't just see young men. I see sisters and brothers. I see mothers and fathers. I see children and adults. Sisters and brothers, we have family, we have kin in this room, young and old, male and female. Yes, even we ourselves, we together fight and overcome that devil every single day. Amen? So John's words in this passage this morning isn't just for children. It's not just for fathers. It's not just for young men. No. No, John writes here for the entire body of Christ. John writes for all of us. His words proclaimed here are truths that are available to all of us. In the near beginning of this sermon, I prayed a prayer that I wrote in light of the passage this morning. I'd like us to pray that prayer again. But this time I'll pray it and ask you to do one thing each time. I want to be careful with that word challenge because some of you take me seriously. This is where we pause in the sermon to say, Pastor Woody promised you on January 1st to be reading the Sermon on the Mount that I'm going to make you stake. 
That's not true. Sometimes he embellishes things. I know it's crazy, but that's not true. But on January 1st, we will be here in church, and maybe I'll have ice cream. So keep reading your Sermon on the Mount. We'll share testimonies about it. Maybe we'll have ice cream, and then you can tell me about it. But no steak, not even for him. We, we return now to our regular programming. So I wanna, I'm going to say this prayer again, and each time I want to ask you to do something. No challenge this morning, just a few requests. I open the prayer with this. Father God, we are grateful to know you and be known by you. Take a few seconds to think about what you know about God. What has God revealed to you? What truth about God has seemed especially true to you this year, this month, this week, or even today? Father God, thank you for forgiving our sins. Take a moment to reflect and then quietly confess your sin before God. If you have a piece of paper and a pen, you can write that sin down. Don't worry, I'm not collecting them. No one's collecting them. I want you to write it down or just think about it. And after your act of confession of writing it down, rip up that piece of paper and know that your sins have been forgiven. If you don't have a piece of paper, just reflect and then quietly confess your sin before God. Know, too, that your sins have been forgiven. Father God, thank you for forgiving our sins. Jesus, our Christ, we are grateful that you have loved us from the beginning. We know Christ is the word of God. We know that through Christ all things were made that were made. We know Jesus is God over everything and eternally ours. But I want you to spend these next few moments thinking of another kind of birth. I want you to think of the day that you became a Christian, the day you chose to follow God, Or maybe for some of us, think of a more recent day where you chose to rededicate yourself to God. Maybe that day's today. Jesus, our Christ, we are grateful that you have loved us from the beginning. Jesus, our Christ, even unto Calvary's cross, even unto death at Calvary's cross, you've loved us. And now even beyond the grave, you love us still. We focused a little bit on Christ's work on Calvary and what it meant for us. 
We're focused on the day we chose to follow God or rededicate ourselves to God. But this might be a newsflash to a few of you. But being saved doesn't automatically remove our stubborn feelings of inadequacy. God loves us, yes, but we don't always feel it. We know it, but we don't always remember it. So to remember that Christ so loved us, even unto death of Calvary, even beyond the grave, and that Jesus loves us still, take a moment to think about something that makes it hard to believe that Jesus loves you. What keeps holding you back from God's love? What keeps holding you back from completely giving yourself to Christ? Now that you've got that thing in mind, I want you to repeat after me. Lord, you love me still. 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 Holy Spirit, thank you for your power which makes us strong enough to overcome the evil one. What is one thing you need to overcome today? What is one thing that you need victory over today? Think about that one thing you need victory over. Perhaps write it down. Now pledge before God and in your own heart to ask for the Spirit's help to overcome. Ask for the Spirit's help to overcome. Pledge to pray for help to overcome every single day this week. Pledge for every single day to pray. Holy Spirit, your power lives in us. Holy Spirit, your power lives in us. Holy Spirit, your power lives in us. Amen?
I'd like to invite Randy and Marilyn up for their closing song as they get ready. I'd also like to invite our team of intercessors up front. We're here to pray for you for anything that you need prayer on. Intercessors will be gathered up front. Before we sing that final song, sisters and brothers, this morning before our God, let us pledge to know God and remember. To know God and be known by God. Not just knowing about God, not just all the facts we can rattle off, not just all our perfect Sunday school answers, no. No, sisters and brothers, let us know the heart of God and be shaped by it. Let us be bold enough to be vulnerable with God. Jesus wants you, all of you, all of the real you. Jesus desires an intimacy with you that's founded on honesty, vulnerability, trust, grace, and love. Yes, love. This is what Jesus had with John, yes. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus can have this with you as well. Amen? Know God and remember. Remember your sins are forgiven. Remember the God you've known from the beginning. Remember the God who keeps revealing himself to you. Remember how you've overcome and how you will keep overcoming the evil one. Amen? Know God and remember. Remember.